This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Happy weekend, everybody. OG, did you have a great week with family? It's so great. It's awesome. And I really (laughs) am looking forward to the next opportunity that I have to spend all of this wonderful time with them in a row because it's 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 awesome is this the point is this the crossover point you're like oh please god let me go back to work maybe am i I not at work right now what no you're you're hanging out here in the basement oh this isn't work has this ever been work hey if it were work if it were work we would get paid just saying very true um but yeah it's been great well, we've got awesome. a great episode for you then, OG, because I don't know if you remember this, but in 2016, we went above and beyond again, Jill, Schles- Jill Schlesinger last year on yesterday's show. And now we're going to take you to episode 420 of the Stacky Benjamin Show, where Mr. David Bach joined us. We also met David Bach for, well, we've had David on the show, what, four times now? Um, but OG, we met him besides here at the basement. We also met him in Dallas at uh, FinCon where we did our live show with David. It's funny. Every time I've met him, I don't know. He wasn't at all what I, I guess, preconceived notion of who David Bach was. Would, would that be fair for you? Or did you have any preconceived ideas about David Bach? I hadn't really given it much thought, but I do remember tracking, like we were waiting for him and uh, when we were in FinCon in Dallas and he comes down the escalator, I'm like, oh, here he is. And then he like turns the wrong way and he starts wandering around and I'm like, oh, he has no idea where he's supposed to be going. <laughs> like he doesn't have a person that's like over here, sir. You know, so he's like literally wandering around. So I came up to him I'm like, hey, David, how's it going? He's like, good. And he like keeps on like, and I'm like, oh, I think you're with me. You have to come this way. And he just looks at me and he's like, I'm not following you for whatever, wherever you think this is headed. I'm not going. <laughs> so I did like name drop. I'm with Joe, so I'll see hi. Oh, oh, okay. We had so much fun with David. And every time we talked to him, he is such a personable guy. And it's easy to see why he's had so much acclaim. Not just an incredibly smart gentleman, but also, well, just a guy that every time... You email him. He just, how are you? How's your family? How are th- he knows so he knows so many people, and yet he remembers names and places and faces, and uh, you can see why he's gotten where he's gotten. But you're not interested in that. You're interested in what did he have to say about 2016, and does it apply to today? The answer is I don't know. You got to listen. We'll have the same stuff we have every episode here. Let's say hello to what should we have learned in 2016 on our march toward a new decade. 
Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. Live from the place where we're all wearing long underwear, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, basement dwellers. Well, mom's got the hot chocolate on the stove and we've got a hot show for you today because today is the first day of winter. To celebrate, we welcome New York Times bestselling author, David Bach. Also, we review a worrisome headline about emergency funds, throw out the Haven Lifeline, answer your letters, and more. And here they are, two guys who, after all these years, are still asking Joe's mom for that Hot Wheels Triple Loop Super Friends Supersonic Racetrack. Oh my God, that thing was awesome. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. You know, this will give away, this will give away what an old guy I am. But I remember sitting with the JCPenney catalog with my brother going through that thing, like not just the, the Hot Wheels, Triple Loop, Super Friends set, but every single, you know, we wanted the go-kart that... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, That's oh. what my son wants. He wants a motorbike. Like a motorbike, you're seven. <laughs> like, what yeah, you Dad, do? they're cool. I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding, they're cool. I used to go through the Sears catalog. That was so yeah. Sears. Right. Sears and JCPenney. Remember they give you the big... Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, we'd, we'd have those things dog Sears and Robux. <laughs> That's right. Back when Sears was the thing, was an actual company. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Bunny on Twitter, so you know who's who. Across this card table from me, ready to face another podcast here on Wednesday. It's uh, the one and only OG. This is not any Wednesday. This Th- is a very important Wednesday. Why? Because David Bach is upstairs talking to mom right now? That's one of the reasons. There's some other reasons, one in particular, that makes this Wednesday very special. It might be somebody's birthday. Well, it might be. It very well might be. Happy birthday, my friend. Oh, it's my birthday. Oh, <laughs> cool. You know, speaking of kids and, and uh, holidays, we got one year, my kids, the whole original Winnie the Pooh set. Have you read the real Winnie the Pooh? Like, not the Disney stuff, the real A.A. Mill Winnie the Pooh. No, is he like a mass murderer or something? Like, am I really missing out? No, but there's so many jokes for parents. There are so many jokes. Like when Eeyore has his birthday, you know, Piglet and Winnie the Pooh come walking in and Eeyore says, oh, thanks for that fantastic birthday present. It was amazing. I absolutely love that present. And Winnie the Pooh, of course, looks at him and goes, we didn't get you anything for your birthday. And he goes, oh, yeah, my mistake. I forgot. (laughs) And it's the sarcasm that parents love that kids would never, ever get. My favorite line in Christmas Vacation is not the, you know, the crapper's full. It's not any of that sort of stuff. My favorite line is when Uncle Lewis shows up and he says, we got you something, Clark. And he goes, well, Uncle Lewis, you didn't have to do it. You didn't have to get me anything. And he goes, damn it, Bethany, he guessed it. <laughs> because he got him nothing. You know what the best gift is to get somebody this time of year, OG? $450. Yes. And that's the amount Cash they save. money. When they head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Because when you go to magnify money, not only does the average person save that amount, it's how they save it that's important. Because the best gift you give yourself during the holiday season is the gift of financial security. And whether it's a better checking account, a savings account, 
an auto loan, cleaning up those student loans, getting that personal debt, that credit card debt taken care of and consolidated. Stackofbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is your best place for the tools that will help you get out of debt in 2016. Here's what you do. Start the debt strategy this year, and then you're ready to go on the attack January 1st. Heck, you should be on the attack now. Great. Everybody else thinking about spending money, you're thinking about saving it. How great is that? Especially if you make 400 bucks along the way. Absolutely. Stackofbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is the place you go to compare, ditch, switch, and save. And then a place that's always at the top. And here's what I like. You know, they've got this score on Magnify Money OG, which which I call the no BS score. But really, it's the fine print score saying how much fine print are you going to have to wade through and how many, you know, clauses and things are there. Well, guess what? If you head Where's to... Where's the catch? Yes. If you head to com forward slash SoFi, you'll find there is very little fine print. They get graded an A on Magnify Money because of the lack of fine print. They also are a place where when you refinance your student loan there or you refinance that credit card debt into a consolidation loan, a personal loan, guess what? Not only will you find a lower interest rate, they'll also send you 100 bucks for using our link. Bam, there's another $100. We're making you money today. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, S-O-F-I. And by the way, they also do mortgages. Check them out for mortgages. They can't do the 100 bucks. But, you know, if you're comparing mortgages anyway. You'll get a heck of a rate. Yeah. So we are kicking this year to the curb after this episode. And before we do that, man, we've got a fantastic show. It's a nice New Year's Eve party, huh? I know. I mean, it's not New Year's Eve. Right. David. kind of like New Year's Eve. David Bach going to take us through what he thinks are some of the biggest things that happened in 2016 we should have learned from. But before that, we've got some fantastical end-of-the-year headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. It must be your birthday because you sent me a headline. What's that all about? Is it the Happy Birthday OG headline? It is not. It's four bad money habits that leave millionaires broke. Okay, let's hear I don't remember sending this, but <laughs> sounds like something I would do. Must have been on the third or fourth scotch, <laughs> the pre-celebratory last night. I, I just, I've never gotten into scotch, although I did have a, I was at the liquor store. The great thing about the liquor stores around here is that generally they give you free samples. <laughs> so you and keep, you keep going which back. Is, oh yeah. I, I just keep on getting like, they're like, sir. I'm like, I just had my hat backward. I'm like, yo man, what's up? They're like, where'd you just hear from them? Not me. I'm, I'm some other guy in a yellow hat. <laughs> but anyway, I had some homemade whiskey and it was actually really oh. good. Interestingly enough, I tried to get one of those little one ounce bottles of uh, Fireball to go. Yeah. You know, I wasn't going to drink it to go, but I just, right. you know, a little something. With a paper bag. Yeah, a paper bag for the little one ounce. She, the, the gal at the counter said that you can't buy just one of them. They, the law is you have to buy two. Because if you're going to get pulled over, <laughs> you for- might as well go for broke. <laughs> That's just. I'm, I'm absolutely- a little suspicious of that law. But anyway, so four yeah. things that make millionaires broke. Let's, uh, let's hear what they are. Yeah, and you know, it's it's sad because this time of year, everybody talks about all of the stars that died and, you know, the bad things that happened. I'm sure that uh, David will probably have some stuff on that, too. But these are habits that make your money die every single year. This is written by John Rampton in Entrepreneur.com. It says, millionaires are known for having habits like carefully planning and spending their money wisely, constantly educating themselves, waking up early, and especially taking care of their health. We know all those. But we've also seen millionaires who don't have those self-control habits. And generally, you know who these are. These are people that have some skill, like they're an entertainer. Like they've got MC Hammer at the top of this. 
piece. And uh, of course, MC Hammer just very famously lost a lot of money. Crashed and burned. And that's number one on here. They didn't track their spending. You know, tracking your spending is something that for a while I did not do before we had kids, before I knew anything about how to manage money. Like I, I had no idea. The cool thing is now it's automated. Like now I use Mint and it tracks it for me and we just use it at our weekly meeting to look through it. Like I'm not tracking it. My money's tracking me, OG. It's follow me. Well, technology really goes a long way to help this out quite a bit. Mint, personal capital, there's all sorts of different tools. Heck, you could darn near use an Excel worksheet. And you and I have both met clients that have done that for years. But the big thing is writing it down, right? Yeah. Our friends at Tiller have those spreadsheets where if you like doing your own, you talked about Excel spreadsheets, they have those, uh, well, we've got the Stacky Benjamin specific one, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Tiller, T-I-L-L-E-R. I, I didn't even think of that until just now. They oh, yeah, we've got a spreadsheet. We've got one we can use. You've got a branded spreadsheet. I love it. Yeah, it says they don't look at bills from restaurants, hotels, or retail purchases, much less the grocery store to make sure they weren't overcharged. How many times you've been, I, I swear, once a month, I realize I've been overcharged. I had a situation where I was arguing with the bank about something. Uh, it was with my mortgage. And to redo this part of my mortgage costs $400. And so I won't bore you with all the details, but it was worth it, right? It's worth it to write the check for 400 bucks to have them recalculate this one section of the mortgage. And so I did, I sent them the check and then they called me and said, well, we changed our mind. The the circumstances around your situation are slightly different. Therefore it's now $750. And I said, now I called baloney on that. I said, that is just trying to take advantage of, you see what I'm trying to fix here. And now you're going, well, let's see if we can extract more money out of this guy. But this is a great example of it, right? You know, sometimes people just go, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. It doesn't uh, even have to be $400 difference. It can be a $30 difference at the grocery store. One interesting thing about the millionaires who stay rich, it says here, is that many use coupons. It's funny. Right. I've gotten into habit since we started doing this show. Before we do the show, I never use coupons. And now every time I go buy mostly major purchases, I will look for what deals I can get before I go. Just because I've learned doing this show that there's... There's a deal for everything. I found out yesterday that Mrs. OG uses Ebates. Yeah, right. And uh, she said, hey, I ordered our Christmas cards and got $15 off of our $15 Ebate. You know, they're the... Which goes to show exactly how much deals are out there. If they're giving cash reimbursements to certain, you know, subsections of the... uh, of the purchasers here, you know? I was saying they're, they're the sister company of uh, Fat Wallet, and Brett Sheldon, of course, was just here before Thanksgiving talking about deals. Yeah. They will look for best bargains, cause a scene if they're overcharged. It says, then they'll turn around and go on a luxurious European vacation or purchase an item like a massive diamond ring. And I think it's because millionaires know how to spend money on the things that are important to them and how not to spend money on the things that are irrelevant. Number two on here is that millionaires made pricey and emotional purchases. Millionaires who are going broke have a nasty habit of making emotional purchases. For example, they've had a bad day. They may go on a spending spree or they may determine a couple times a week that they have to have DoorDash because they're depressed about doing something and don't feel like cooking. I got to say... I've been there uh, before where yeah, I'm stressed. I don't know about going out to eat as being a, as being a huge money suck for millionaires, but, uh, but certainly spending money foolishly, but you know, as a sense of emotional comfort. I think this is, I do remember this article now because it talks about just grab a tub of Haagen-Dazs and watch <laughs> Netflix. Doesn't it right after that part? I, 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 it does. He would have done yeah. better. 
talking about uh, MC Hammer's gold-plated driveway gates, which had go. hammer time, and he had 21 racehorses. And it says he could have just he could have just had could have just had twenty. He could have had a quarter Hagen dazs and zoned out to an old movie. Uh, <laughs> n- number three on here, they didn't have multiple streams of income. That's an important one, I think. Building different income streams. If you've based everything on just your paycheck at work, then your paycheck at work goes away. You know, one of my favorite things about the book Rich Dad Poor Dad is that analogy that uh, Kiyosaki and Susan Lecter use, where there's you. And then there's this guy, and that guy's your pile of money, and your pile of money takes a lunch bucket out, and it goes to work every day like you do. The difference is, is that guy with the lunch bucket is taxed at a much better rate than you are. It doesn't pay FICA tax, right? You don't have any mm-hmm. of that stuff. You, you just either have capital gains or dividend income tax. If it's an active investment, meaning like a rental house, you have deductions you can take off of it. So there's all kinds of things that you can you could put it in a Roth IRA and have the money, you know, grow tax deferred until you take it out. And if you take it out right, which it's easy to take it out right with a Roth IRA, you get the interest tax free. So right. that guy is taxed really well. So the quicker you build that guy, the better off you are. That analogy, I don't know what, you know, some analogies really get to you. Yeah, real stick to you. Yeah. That analogy did it for me. My pile of money, that's the lunch bucket that goes out is my wife. <laughs> and moving on, remember, send your hate mail to OG at stackyvegements.com. Number four, they were impatient, aggressive investors. Uh, if the plan doesn't work initially, they don't stick with it. They don't use time-tested approaches. They just keep looking for, it's like fad diets. It's okay to be aggressive. You just have to be patient and aggressive. If you're going to be impatient and aggressive, bad combo. Yeah. I'll link to that in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Our second headline comes to us from CNN Money. This is bad news, but especially bad news for this time of year. Many Americans don't have enough emergency cash. This written by Patrick Gillespie said it could be an emergency room visit for your kid. Maybe a deer ran in front of your car. I was reading that November is the biggest month for that. Or you lose your job but need to make a mortgage payment. It says curveballs can come at any time, but a lot of Americans aren't ready for them financially, according to new research from the New York Federal Reserve. Listen to this stat. The average American age 40 or under says there's a nearly 50% chance they would not be able to come up with $2,000 next time there were an emergency. Isn't that crazy? That, that is. Well, and, and here's what happened. This is the time of year when everybody gets into trouble. I mean, this is the number one time because you don't think of all those little things. My kid's got to take a gift for the teacher, right? You got these holiday parties, these work parties. I just got to stop at the store and pick up a little extra X, Y, Z, maybe some, uh, some of those fireballs, like you're talking about. <laughs> a pack of two, apparently. How much, how much is if I bought all of these? <laughs> but, but then you start taking out the credit card debt. Next thing you know, January, the debt cleanse, you got to go through. Well, that or, or just not having enough cash. For, like CNN says here, a quick emergency. I mean, people slip and fall downstairs all the time, right? Sometimes they're pushed, I, especially <laughs> this time of year. I don't know. Little Johnny broke his arm. I can't figure out how. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> Not like I would push him down the stairs. I'm talking about like brothers and sisters, you know? They, yeah. like, you know, they're around for two weeks. They, yeah, they they're, fight, they're goofing around. I had this friend. Well, not a friend. My cousin, Johnny. John, and that sounds like it's, he's he's not my friend. Let me be clear. Not my friend. He's my cousin. Well, here's the thing. Cause we, I think we all had this cousin. He would always break my stuff. 
He would constantly, I get a new, I get a new toy and he would come over with his parents, my aunt and uncle every stinking Christmas. He would break my toy. Yeah. Just, yeah. J- j- just people like that in my family too. Uh, I needed an emergency reserve for my toys when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> disability policy. Had to have the Aflac toy duck. G.I. Joe guy <laughs> lost a leg. <laughs> like, what happens when we twist this around and around and around? Dink. Oh, and he would totally do that. He, yeah. He would tell oh, yeah. you, oh, I'm yeah. going to twist this. Like, don't do that. Don't do it. No, it'll be fun. This is fun. And then he yeah. goes, oops, I'm sorry. Sorry, his head came off. Anyway, uh, yeah. where's the cake? Yeah, then I go run upstairs, and then he comes after me and just looks his parents squarely in the eye and goes, but it was a mistake. I didn't know that was going to, like, it's a mistake the fourth time, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. the fifth time, but the 15th time, you're, you're a disaster, Johnny. But uh, anyway, I uh, haven't seen that guy in forever, by the way. No I'm, cash reserve. That's where we were at. We have derailed this train. It's, it's tumbling down the side of the embankment. Tumbling down the end of the year is what it's doing. But this is why I like apps like, uh, you know, if you don't think you can build it quickly, do the thing that everyone says, put a little bit of money from your paycheck away, use direct deposit. If your employer will let you direct deposit to a couple different accounts, Mm -hmm. direct deposit most of your money to the place where you need it, and then direct deposit a little bit of your money over to this emergency fund that preferably is at a different bank. Yeah, no debit card. Don't sign up for online access. Make it a little right. difficult to get to it. Where if it's put, an emergency, put it, put it in another care. county. Yeah, like that much, much better. We'll link to that in the show notes at uh, stackybenjamins.com. But I think our lesson is, I mean, if you don't have a, a cash reserve this year, let this article here be a warning, you know, warning shot. It's time to get one. And then our second lesson is you want to be a millionaire and stay a millionaire? It's all about the habits, man. Don't buy 21 racehorses. Stick with 17 or Hagen Das. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. He's only written nine New York Times bestsellers. That makes him only nine ahead of me. <laughs> and me, as a matter of fact. <laughs> nine ahead of both of us. David Bach getting ready to come down to the basement. Of course, his first book was called The Automatic Millionaire. He, of course, is the author of the Finish Rich series, talking about how all kinds of different people finish rich. He has been, uh, it's easier to say what he hasn't been on. He's been a regular contributor to CNN, American Morning, CNBC, Fox Business, ABC, Good Money, and of course, the Oprah Winfrey Show. I think that's where America first saw him. He was on Oprah over six times, including How to Become an Automatic Millionaire, How to Become the Automatic Millionaire Couple, and Oprah's Debt Diet series. I, it's so funny. That was 2006, and I still remember that episode. Uh, of course, he's been on Today, Larry King, uh, CBS is the early show, Live with Regis and Kelly. Holy cow. And now, of course, those were all preludes because he's coming down to the basement. Let's say hello to the one and only Mr. David Bach. And David Bach joins us again in the basement. Welcome back, man. Hey, man. It's great to be back in the basement with you. I know. Right here in the middle of holiday season, too. How are your holidays wrapping up? 
Well, you know, I guess they're wrapping on, right? Like we're <laughs> busy doing all the things that you do when you've got two little kids and you're preparing for the holidays. It's all good. I was just thinking you decided to relaunch Automatic Millionaire, the brand new edition. Congratulations, by the way. And Thank as, you very much. As I was flipping through my copy, though, it seems like, David, all of those lessons that you taught several years ago, those lessons all still apply, don't they? Yeah, because the book is timeless. You know, the key to the Automatic Millionaire book, this book came out January 2004, launched this book on Oprah. It was the number one book of the year. Uh, it sold a million and a half copies. It went all over the world. It's transformed so many people's lives. The key to the book, it's timeless. You read this book in less than 90 minutes. You can put the plan in place in less than one hour. You can read it at an eighth grade reading level. It's super simple. Even if you don't like money, you can read the book. And it's just timeless principles that work over your lifetime. So the reason I updated it was because it's been 10 years. So the tax laws have changed, the investment accounts have changed, and technology has changed. That was really what pushed me. People are like, David, you got to give me an updated book here. This stuff's 10 years old. So really, we only had to update about 20% of the book, which covered all that. And then I gave people the Automatic Millionaire Blueprint, which has been developed since I wrote the original book. Technology, you mentioned that, has made it way easier to implement the stuff that you teach in the Automatic Millionaire, hasn't it? So much easier. I mean, look, it was easy before, but now literally in a matter of minutes, you can put your financial life on autopilot. The other big difference is that, you know, so tech, financial service companies, the new technology companies that have entered the space, and I talk about the robo-advisors and a bunch of the different apps that are out there, Someone can start investing today with as little as a dollar a day. You can have a completely automated portfolio at a super low cost with a dollar a day. And you can set that account up from your phone literally in less than 10 minutes. Like that's just remarkable. Even technology is as incredible as like mint.com, which I'm sure you've talked about a bunch. You know, that's a website that in a matter of minutes, you upload your stuff to it and you can see where all your money's going. So from mint.com to companies like Acorns that make saving money automatic, really easy to companies like Betterment, Wealthfront, Stash. I list all these fantastic new innovative technology-driven companies that are making it easier to invest and be smart with your money than we've ever been able to do. If people haven't read The Automatic Millionaire yet, this is a huge opportunity for them to do it. And obviously, I want people to read the book. But I also want to talk about just the overarching theme. And I'm trying to put into words what I think that theme would be. Would you say that it's it's being mindful about every single dollar? Um, you know, I don't want to say no to you because it's your show. But it's... <laughs> But the answer is the answer is no. Um, it's actually it's not about being the, the whole premise of the automatic millionaire is that budgets don't work and discipline fails. Yeah. So the secret to how ordinary people in this country have built real wealth, how and, and the book talks about an ordinary couple, Jim and Sue McIntyre, highest income they ever had, fifty two thousand dollars the year I met them. Their average income was thirty five thousand dollars. They retired at fifty two multimillionaires debt free. How did they do it? They didn't use a budget. They didn't have discipline. They didn't have a high income. They weren't even super sophisticated. What did they do? They made their entire financial life automatic. That's where the automatic millionaire comes from. So the book is about how to put your financial life on autopilot in less than an hour. And it covers specifically how do you automatically, the most important thing is three words, how do you automatically pay yourself first? 
So I cover all the things to do to automatically pay yourself first, how to automate your security account, how to automatically pay down your debt, including your credit cards in your home, and how to automatically give back. And literally, it's the completely foolproof plan, if you put it in place, that now comes with a blueprint that walks you through exactly how to do this in minutes from your home, on a phone, on a laptop, on an iPad. You don't even need to go into somebody's office to do it. Yeah, what I love about that is it's not at all what I said. It's exactly the opposite. <laughs> you can be mindful, be mindful about everything else in your life, I think is, is the bigger aha. But you've been kind enough to help us here. This is our, our last big show of the year. We've got just one small show on Friday. And you've been kind enough to help us uh, kind of wrap up 2016, David, with some of the big events of the year and what we what we should have learned. What would you say should be some of our biggest takeaways from 2016? Well, wow. Okay, so let's go on to that. So first of all, let me just congratulate you, though, because I know that you just got a huge award from Kiplinger's top-rated podcast. So congratulations to you, and thank you for having me on at the end of the year. Well, thanks, um, man. You should feel super proud of yourself. Congratulations. Big deal. So lessons from 2016. There have been a lot. Let's start with the president. Let's start with, with President Trump, okay? I think the lesson from this election is huge and it should last the rest of your lifetime. And the lesson should be you can't time the market. You cannot figure out, you're not going to figure out when to sell and when to buy. And you can't believe the experts and listen to the news when they're telling you everything's about to go wrong and you should get out of the market. Okay, all year long, all the experts out there have been predicting that this was going to be a terrible year. I've been to so many conferences with billionaires, guys running hedge funds, telling people they should be in gold, they should short this market. The, the belief on the street, on Wall Street, was Trump's going to get elected. No, first of all, the belief was Trump wasn't going to get elected. Right, I, right. Have, I happen to believe that Trump would get elected, but the people who believe that Trump would get elected the talk on Wall Street and everywhere else was the moment Trump is elected, the markets are going to go to a tailspin. They're going to go down 10, 15, 20%. And look at what's happened. Right. The exact opposite. Right. The markets are up over 10%. The markets have moved, and they moved up in days because this is always what happens in the markets. They move up fast or short. And if you went to cash, you literally, in, in a matter of 10 days, have missed a 10% increase in your retirement account. So I think the lesson, and it's a massively important lesson, which I talk about in The Automatic Millionaire, is never try to time the market. You will simply fail. And you, you know every study shows it, which the, the interesting thing about this year is we had two times to learn this lesson. The second time was this summer with Brexit. So when Brexit happened, the markets did actually tank. People flipped out. I was out in the Hamptons doing a bike ride. I pulled over. I went to the beach. I shot a video and I told people, guys, just enjoy this day. Don't pay attention to what they're saying on CNBC. Everybody's going to be telling you it's the end of the world. It's not. And sure enough, within two days, like that was a great time to buy. I actually bought right after the Brexit downturn because the markets immediately rallied right back to where they were. I don't even think it took two weeks. So two great major opportunities to learn from right there. And that's two big ones. You want some more? Yeah. But before we get to the next ones, I got a couple of questions about these. So if you bought right after Brexit, do you like doing that, David, buying on the dips when the market goes down X percentage using that as an opportunity to get in? 
Or, you know, going back to the automatic millionaire, is dollar cost averaging more of your friend? I like dollar cost averaging for most investors. I think once you start to have a high net worth and you actually have a lot of investable dollars, then buying on dips is great. Okay. So yeah. I tend to always have, you know, I've got an investment portfolio that there's a certain amount of money in cash. And I don't know when the dip is coming, but then as soon as the dip comes, like I was at the gym working out, watching the news on Brexit. I went onto my TV account, couldn't even get on it because for whatever reason, they must have been flooded with people trying to get on their accounts. Worked out with my trainer. Hour and a half later, the markets have gone down even more. Literally placed trades from my bench press at the gym. <laughs> um, so buying on the dips at Equinox on my bench press. Yep, that's what I did. That was a pretty profitable bench press that day. <laughs> so, you know, and there are always opportunities like that. I mean, you know, one thing that happens at the end of the year, this wouldn't be my lesson, but as an example, at the end of the year, when, when the muni bond markets do sell off, and like we're going through that right now, the municipal bond markets had a huge hit, it's down 10%, always oversold at the end of the year. There are always great opportunities to buy. If you're, buy, if you're buying muni bonds and you buy them on the dips like this when they go down 10%, it always works out. So yeah, yeah. I like things on sale. The, the market's the one thing where people are always running away from sales. They get in line before Christmas sales, you know, like the day before. But when the market goes on sale, people run away from sales. You want to be excited about sales. I always wonder why that is, why it's the exact opposite. Of course, it's fear, right? I mean, everybody's afraid that with the market going down, that the world's turning upside down and things are never going to be the same again. That's exactly right. Yeah. And they're always, and they're always wrong. You, pay, let me tell you something about investing. It pays to be optimistic. <laughs> That's, I love that. Those are the two big boys. Were there any smaller events this year that I think that we could get some key learnings from, David? Yeah, well, we could go real estate hit an all-time high. So real estate prices in America, the numbers came out, they hit an all-time high. That's a huge learning lesson. Why? Because- in 2009, when real estate market you know, completely turned down, people were saying that real estate would never recover, which is what they always say when things go down. 2010, I put out a book called Start Over, Finish Rich, where I went around telling people, like, this is probably the best opportunity to buy a home and invest in real estate that we will see in 20 years. And people are like, you're crazy. I'm like, how can I be crazy? Real estate in certain cities now, you can buy a home for below replacement cost. How can you not see the deals? And you went to cities like Miami and Las Vegas, and Arizona and Phoenix and Scottsdale and San Diego, like all of these markets, and the real estate prices were down 50%. New York, you know, you looked at these markets. If you bought in any of these markets that had been crushed, your real estate is back to an all-time high. And I think the lesson there is, you know, we have two things in all-time high right now, the stock market and the real estate market. And I think it's a really important thing to remember that when things go down, they come back up. And if you can have the courage to invest when things go on sale, whether it's real estate or the stock market, those are the opportunities to build massive wealth. I, I bought a home in 2009 when they literally you couldn't give away condos in Manhattan. Like in April of 2009, not only did I buy a condo and get a great deal on it, the building, the guy who owned the building ultimately lost the building because it went into foreclosure. Oh. There were like 67 units in my building for sale. I actually tried to buy all of them. I brought in a private equity firm to try to buy the whole thing and resell them. You, you could buy these units in bulk for like $700 a square foot. Now in my building, they're 2000 a square foot. Yeah. So, you know, my unit has doubled in value since 2009. That's only seven years. And so I think the lesson, like that lesson, like real estate hitting an all-time high, don't let people tell you that owning a home doesn't pay off because you can't build real wealth being a renter. 
And that's another big part of the automatic millionaire. You have to own a home. You can't rent. Getting to the fact that real estate's at an all-time high, if that was a huge opportunity then, does that mean that real estate's dangerous today? I don't know that real estate's dangerous today, but I would not be buying real estate to speculate. When prices get to an all-time high, and if you try to buy a home at an all-time high, hoping that you're going to flip it in a year or two for higher price, right. I think you're more likely going to flop. So you need to be, if you're buying a home, you better be buying a home because you're going to live in it. You better, and you really should be having a five, six, seven-year time horizon. Don't be buying a home right now at an all-time high if you need to be out of it in a year or two. And about buying a house, is there a certain time frame I should be looking at there too? Because, you know, if I take out a mortgage and I'm only there, David, for two years because my job left, well, then I'm sitting on this property that mm. might not have appreciated over the short time. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I just came from CNBC and Business Insider today, and I think we did CBS too. And uh, and <laughs> I'm like, I think we did because it starts to become a blur. Right. Um, <laughs> we talked about this exact issue. And, and the answer I gave is, look, anything less than three years, real estate's a long-term investment. I would not be buying a home if I thought I was relocating in a year or two. Unless I'm really in a hot market that's super liquid, meaning like things are just flying off the shelf, like Manhattan right now. But you know what's funny? Hot markets can turn cold. So the better way to look at it is if you know you're moving in a year or two, then you should rent. Now, the hard part is a lot of times people don't know. They say, well, I think I might only be here for three or four years. And then the next thing they rent, and the next thing you know, seven years have gone by. Right. And that is so common. Like when I talk about this, people will come up to me and they're like, you're so right. You know what? I didn't think we we're going to stay here. And now it's been 10 years and now my rent's gone up 50% and I don't own anything and I haven't made any money. So time goes by fast. I mean, I moved to New York in 2001. I thought I might be here a year or two. I'd say I liked it. And now it's, what are we looking at? We're almost in 2017 and the time flew by. Wow. I want to talk about next week's book release and launch, and then I also want to talk about what you're doing around there. So I think we got time for probably, David, one more lesson that we could have learned from 2016. Anything else that we can dive into a little bit? Yeah, well, you know what? I'm a big, huge fan of Prince, and it was so sad to see that Prince, obviously, that he passed away this year, and it was a huge loss. I was fortunate enough to see him play Madison Square Garden a couple of years ago, probably one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. And you know, unfortunately, his passing away without a will, it seems inconceivable, really, right? Especially since he had created so much great work. But like 60% of Americans don't have wills. And every time I do a speech, almost every time I do a speech, part of my speech covers the need to be a grown-up and have a will. And so if you're listening and you want to be a what I call a financial grown-up, if you are married, if you have kids, or like in Prince's case, you know, he wasn't married, but he had a lot of assets and really important stuff then just be, be an adult and get a will done. Because people are like, well, if I die, it's like, no, 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 no. It's not if you die, you're, you're, you're dying. <laughs> so the question is just when and how big of a mess are you leaving for the people that you love? Once you have kids and you're married, you absolutely should have a will. You should get it done immediately. And then really a big part of the lesson is don't just get the will done, but make sure everything's up to date. Your insurance is up to date. Your beneficiaries are up to date. Your family knows where those documents are. That is just such an obvious grown-up thing to do. But like half the people who were listening to this podcast today, they're not doing it. So if they get, if just if you made one major New Year's cleanup resolution for your money, if you're listening and you don't have a will, go get a will done. And I'd throw one more thing in there. I'd say if you're listening and you don't have 
enough money for your family. If you were to, God forbid, for die, you know, die tomorrow, and you don't have a lot of money in savings, and most Americans don't, then buy a cheap-term policy because a cheap-term policy can protect your family. And you know what? That's just a really important gift to give to people you love. Unless you know when you're going to die, then do all that stuff the day before. Yeah, you know what? If you're a procrastinator and you have the date of your death, then that's fine. Get done the day before. <laughs> right. Otherwise, I think today is, is, is a great place to leave it. That's fantastic advice, David. The book comes out next Tuesday, which is so exciting. you got to be fired up. It probably doesn't even seem like it's been 10 years, has it? You know, it's surreal to me. I launched this book on Oprah in 2004. We taped the show at the end of 2003. I can't believe, because it's 13 years now. I can't 13 years. It is surreal to me. I look grayer. I look slightly older, but my passion <laughs> is as great now as it probably was then. And I just feel really, I'm really excited to bring this, this book back out. I really want to, I want to reach millennials. I want to reach the younger generation. I want to get 20 and 30 something people doing all this because it's so much easier when you start when you're young. And, you know, having had a million and a half of these books go out, for me, I'm not worried about hitting bestseller lists. I'm just trying to change people's lives. I'm super excited to like, put it back in people's hands and get it to the next generation. And now with technology, I'm hoping to reach more people. So like we're doing a, my first virtual book signing. Wow, so really? You know, if you yeah, have people that are listening to this before January 10th, on January 10th, I am doing a free virtual book signing. You can watch me free, ask questions. You can even, then you can buy the book. I'm autographing the books. I don't know how many these I'll be doing, but if you go to davidbach.com, and you can, it's right on my website, top of the website, you can register for the virtual book signing. Very excited about that. In fact, we're using the same company that Donald Trump used when he launched his last book, the virtual book signing. And then I'm teaching my first virtual online class, which is going to be on January 19th with Created Live. And people can spend the whole day with me virtually from anywhere. And again, that's on davidbach.com come check that out because you can come watch the class all day long. I'm filming it live in San Francisco, but you can watch from wherever you are. And uh, that's going to be super exciting. Two quick questions about those, David. So on January 10th, if I'm there for the virtual book signing, I just buy the book on your site and then you sign it. And it's the same price as if I bought it anywhere else, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's the same price, but they're not marking it up. I think it's whatever the retail price is. Yeah. It's another company fulfilling it. Yeah. I'm just sitting there signing them and they're shipping the book. So they're bringing a film crew out to my house. All the information is right on there. It's livesigning.com. And again, at davidbach.com, you'll see the link to it. It gives you all the information. I mean, the book's in paperback. I think the book's, I should know what the book costs. I think the book's $15. That should be super fun. And you know, look, people can also watch the virtual book signing and then I'm sure they can shop online and find it somewhere cheaper if they want. Um, <laughs> So, but you're, but or you're, you can just show up with the book that you've already got and watch me virtually and come and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you're not charging the, the usual David Bach $1,000 book signing cost. No, I never did that. So <laughs> I'm that's joking. not how we roll. <laughs> I like that idea. Though. Th those going to be worth a lot. That's like the Honus, <laughs> that's like the Honus Wagner of financial planning there, David. Right. Hey, my mom was on Facebook today. I posted the book is coming out and my mom's like, I just bought 12 copies. I'm like, mom, oh my God, you're like my best customer. I would have sent you the books. I love moms are awesome. And then uh, for more information on both of these, on the virtual online class, January 19th, and on the virtual book signing, January 10th, and about the book launch next Tuesday, just head to our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. Thanks for hanging out, David. Happy holidays to you and your family, man. You too. Have a great New Year's. Keep up your fantastic work. Really a pleasure. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, it's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm here with what everyone knows is clearly the most exciting part of this show, the trivia. Before we get to that, while David Bach has his list of top lessons you should have learned from the events of 2016, I have come up with another, and I must say, probably slightly improved list of lessons. So without further ado, here are Doug's top five takeaways of 2016. Number five. Alrighty, people, let's be honest here. We can believe it's not butter. Was anyone ever really confused? Hopefully not by the end of 2016 and its effects on world events. You know what I'm talking about. Number four, never pretend you can ride a horse. Nothing good comes from that. Number three, I learned this year that it's absolutely impossible to skip and stay sad. Try it out at work. I promise your coworkers will whisper about you. Number two, I learned in 2016 from reality television that you should never put your number one lesson before the break. So let's cleverly and subtly pivot to trivia. The question is, how much would it cost to purchase all the gifts mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas song? You know, like if you bought 11 gold rings or 17, I don't know, army jeeps. I'll be back with the answer and my number one lesson in just a moment. Time for a quick timeout to pay the bills. And speaking of paying bills, the centerpiece of your entire bill paying and home operating budget is your checking account, isn't it? So why not have a good one? StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money can help you quickly compare checking, savings, and credit card options. Magnify Money. How'd they come up with that name? CEO Nick Clemens shares the story. Well, I spent years working in banking and every time we wanted to find a way to make a little bit more money, we would get some lawyers in the room, we would add some extra fine print, and that fine print would help us charge more money. And so what we wanted to do in Magnify Money is we wanted to be the magnifying glass to help go through the fine print, find the traps, and make it really easy for people to avoid them and to spend less money on banking. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money, the magnifying glass that saves people on average 450 bucks. We're also happy to be sponsored by SoFi. Find them at stackybedjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's S-O-F-I. We've told you before, we tell you all the time about their low rates and flexible terms for student loans, personal loans, and mortgages. But we asked co-founder Dan Macklin how easy it is to apply. How easy is it, Dan? It's really easy. You go to SoFi.com and apply. It takes about 10 minutes. We ask for a few pieces of information. And then we will approve you or not approve you uh, instantly in the vast majority of cases. So within 10 minutes, you'll know if you have a rate, uh, what that rate is. And we'll show you calculations as to how much money you can save. So it's extremely quick and simple. That takes a lot of hamsters to spin that wheel, Dan. Yeah, we look, we we uh, we do a soft credit pool. We're running your credit in the background. Um, but assuming that everything matches up, then it really is a 10 minute process for you. And then it's an instantaneous approval decision for the majority of folks. Let's find out right now how much lower your interest rates can be. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's S-O-F-I.
Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Back to share my scintillating number one takeaway from 2016. And also, without any additional fee, the answer to today's trivia. But first, I've made you wait long enough, so here it is. Doug's epic number one takeaway from 2016. Ready? Never, and I mean never, ever mix sleeping pills and laxatives. That always ends up being just a shitty experience. Yeah. In better news, let's share today's trivia answer. Here was the question. How much would it cost to purchase all the gifts mentioned in the 12 Days of Christmas song? According to the PNC Christmas Price Index, who've tracked the cost of the gifts since 1984, the total cost would be $34,363. That's a 0.07% increase from last year and 82% more than what it cost 32 years ago. <laughs> I mean, I am all about those eight maids of milking. I wonder if I can just buy them or like interest them in a night down at the Sizzler. Gotta run. Well, you said over forty thousand. I said a dollar. So it's a dollar. A, yeah, it's the closest without going over. Oh, okay. Yeah, Price is Right style. So I Price won. is wrong. <laughs> yeah. That that, that could have gotten uncomfortable in a hurry. I don't know. I think I like David Bach's lessons much better. A little bit more. Yeah. Than Doug's. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. It seems to me that he had the microphone for a little long in that little break. It's his last show of the year. It's last show of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, he's instead, got of, instead of Christmas gifts, we give him a little extra mic time. A little more microphone time. We're like, no, you got it. your gift. We gave you yeah. two more minutes. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, fire up or throw out, as it were, the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on the things you value most, your family and your time. And that's why they've created the only affordable term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. I just think that's so cool. And qualified healthy applicants can even skip the medical exam cool as well. Head to stackofbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn more about Haven Life Insurance the modern way. You know, they started back in the middle of 2015 OG and talking to my friend Brittany over at Haven. That company is just smoking it this year. They're rocking good things happening over at Haven Life. And of course, even though they are new, they're really not new because they're backed by this little tiny company called Mass Mutual. i never heard of them. Yeah. Huh. Who are they? Right. But uh, on the, we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline today to another friend today. That would be our friend Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Chris. I have a question about rebalancing a portfolio in response to market swings. Although I'm not sure if you guys are the right people to ask since I never learn anything from you. But here it goes anyway. I rebalanced my portfolio on an annual basis, but I wanted to start developing a plan for strategic rebalancing in response to changes in the market. Basically, my question is, how do I do the math to determine how much my portfolio has shifted and then I need to rebalance? To keep it simple, say I have a 60% stock and 40% bond portfolio, and I want to rebalance when my allocation is 10% or more out of balance. So is it when my account becomes 70% stock, 30% bond, that would be 10% off my original allocation? Or is it if my portfolio drifts to 65% stocks and 35% bonds, so each has shifted 5% for a total of 10%? 
or am I completely off in how I'm thinking about this, which is always a possibility. <laughs> thanks as always for your help and for the show. Uh, thanks for the question, Chris. I love that. Yeah, what is C? None of the above. Dan-o-no. You should have said a dollar, Chris. Should have said a dollar like I did. You would have got it. Just a couple thoughts. First of all, uh, I don't know that I would use 10. I might use 20% as opposed to 10%. A little less frequent rebalancing there. Less transaction costs. My observation. And as far as the, the calculation goes, it's 20% off of the target number. So, for example, if in your example, you said 60% stock, 40% fixed income. <laughs> Can't imagine why you'd have 40% fixed income of anything. It's just for his analogy. He said that. But it's an analogy. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so I would take 20% of 60%. So 20% of 60% is 12%. So if the 60% goes to 48 or up to 72 that's the range that's acceptable. If you wanted it to be 10%, then I would go 10% of 60% is six, right? So then I would go from 66 to 54. So that would be my range. And as long as it was within that range, I would be fine and stick to your once a year type of deal if you want to do that. But, um, you know, like most recently, stock market's gone crazy here the last, whatever, six, seven weeks. So there's been different areas that have, have really outperformed and kind of dragged that weighting that allocation weight out of balance. And so, so that's how we do it. But I use 20%. But it seems like his goal though, is to be more aggressive because he said he wants to take advantage more often of market fluctuations. If he's going to do that, he's going to cut that percentage down, suck up the cost. And uh, so that he's forced to move more often. Yeah. I'm not sure. You just have to do an analysis to figure out if the extra cost is worth it. There hasn't been any statistical evidence that I'm aware of that supports that more frequent rebalancing is better than, you know, once a year is better than twice a year is better than every quarter. I haven't seen any research on that. Caught, so caught in uh, too many lost leaders or what? Well, I think you just end up with the transaction costs and taxes, especially if you're in a non-qualified account where, you know, you eat up all those like minuscule little gains that you might have by, by making the range too short. Yeah. The average intra-year peak to trough decline in the S&P 500 is 14%. So if you put it at some number other than 14%, you're going to be doing this at least once a year. A lot, right. So to me, that seems a little excessive. Thanks for the question, Chris. If you've got a question and would like us to throw out the lifeline to you, we're happy to do that. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and we will hook you up with our answer to your question. Doug also brings down the mail. we got a couple pieces of mail today, and they're both interesting and actually, OG, on this on these two, you don't have to, well, let's put it this way. Last show of the year, you got a little time off here. Got a little break. Because yeah. Chuck just wants to add in on that discussion that we had about HSAs. And remember, we had two questions in a row from somebody that had a rotten HSA, and they wanted to find out about whether they could have a different HSA or not. Chuck wanted to add some more to that. He said that, you can open as many HSAs as you want, but your combined contribution to all HSAs can't exceed the IRS maximum. I think we covered that one. Mm -hmm. If your high deductible plan covers your spouse who's over 50, they need to open their own HSA anyway to make the $1,000 catch-up contribution that they're eligible for. We didn't get to that, which is a great addition. Number two, you want to make your contributions to your HSA through payroll deductions, even to the employer's lousy HSA provider, that's because HSA payroll contributions come out before Social Security and Medicare taxes, so it saves you an additional 7.65% in taxes. 
nice ad. I love how our listeners take care of us when they want to hammer this home. Good stuff here from Chuck. Number three, you can transfer money from your employer's HSA provider to your own through an HSA trustee to trustee transfer at any time. However, that lousy HSA provider will probably charge you a fee for the service. So watch out for what the fee is. Once again, good stuff. And then number four, or once every rolling year, i.e. a year from the last time you did this, you can do a do-it-yourself rollover. You ask the lousy HSA provider to transfer the full balance to your checking account, and then you write a personal check to your favorite HSA with a rollover form so they know it's not contributions. And Chuck said that's he knows this all because that's what he does. Glad Chuck could add into that conversation. So if you've got a horrible HSA, good stuff there. Our next, actually, clarification. Remember we had a letter recently from uh, Nir and John? It was on the Adam Carroll episode mm-hmm. where Nir and John said, life insurance on kids, not a good idea. And uh, J- Yeah, we had a letter about that Yeah, J- and, and, and J.J. Montanero had said that, you know, you may want life insurance on kids. Uh, burial cost was what he said. Future insurability was what J.J. Montanero had said. Nir and John said, I usually don't want it. You agreed. Adam Carroll, who was on that episode, actually, listening to himself, I think Adam was doing a little bit, but he listened to the whole episode. He said, P.S. on his note, just thanking me for being on the show. He said, there was a comment about not buying life insurance on children. One of the things I'm encouraging parents to do is have at least a 20-year level term on their children for the amount they've co-signed for in student loans. He's heard some horror stories of a child dying in their 20s or 30s and leaving mom and dad with the rest of the loans to pay off. And so if you're in a desperate enough situation where you've got student loans, you don't want to be responsible for those student loans. And Adam says the cost of the term insurance on a 20-year-old is incredibly cheap. And if you're going to have interest on the student loan anyway, why not add just a little bit more to cover those and make sure if there's a horror story that you're not, you're not stuck with the tab? I support that 100%. I mean, that's the purpose of life insurance, right, is to cover your obligations that you might have. So Love it. People taking care of us. Thanks for the letters, Chuck and Adam. If you've got a letter for the show, send those to me, joe at stackingbenjamins.com. We're getting ready for a letters episode, by the way probably in in January where we're going to get to a lot of them and I have now because I've been saying for so long that we <laughs> that you shouldn't send me letters I'm now getting close to caught up so if you want to have a letter or a voicemail happen very quickly you can send those to either place because we are now very very quickly catching up stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail gets you on the Haven Lifeline and then uh, letters to the show is uh, joe at stackingbenjamins.com if you don't want to more publicly talk about your money, but you want a financial advisor in your corner, OG has reconfigured his cl- his practice now about four months ago, four or five months ago, uh, reconfigured his practice where he's now taking clients. You can send him a note to get on his schedule, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, the letter O, the letter G gets you there. That's it, man. Should we be playing like all laid sign? <coughs> Or maybe. Anyway, shameless plug for myself. And do you got special plans today? Well, I have plans. I'm not entirely sure that the rest of the world would agree with my plans, but meaning Mrs. OG might not go along with your plan. It's always the case. About the thing that you want on your birthday. Every year, I ask for the same thing. Never get it. Never gets it. Yeah. Right. Happy birthday, man. 
Merry Thanks. Christmas. One day I'll get that sports car, Joe. One day. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. What, happy Festivus. Whatever you celebrate, have a very, very happy one. We'll say them all. This is the anti-PC show. We will say whatever it is you celebrate, we will say it. How about that? There you go. Yeah. Safe travels, my friend. Yes. Thank you we'll very much. We'll see you in 2017. Deal. Uh, one more show you guys have with me. OG is done for 2016. I'll be back on Friday with the roundtable talking about what they learned from 2016. And also with Pat Kelly from USAA talking about, it's funny, we just talked about J.J. Montanaro from USA, who's on September. Pat Kelly gave a speech at a conference I was at about the future of fintech and on apps on your phone, and it blew me away. And I said, will you please come on the show and talk about that? He's going to talk about how apps are changing very, very quickly and what we can expect from technology in 2017. So great episode on Friday, and we'll see uh, all you back here then. Go Stacks and Benjamins. David Bach has it right. Don't make investing moves based on current events. Start from your long-term goals and you'll be way more successful. Second, emergency funds. If you're just starting out, build your emergency fund first and then start investing. That way, when something goes sideways, you won't raise your long-term money for short-term problems. But the big lesson? Don't mention golden rings to Joe's mom's friend Ethel while you're out to dinner at the Sizzler. She'll just get the wrong idea about your relationship and then there'll be feelings hurt and you'll end up springing for some expensive dessert by way of apology and and don't even talk about ladies dancing or maids a-milking either because apparently Ethel's the jealous type. Ooh, that lady gets hot. Just stick with the geese laying and hopefully, unless there's some inference there she can build into that one, you'll be way better off. Special thanks to New York Times best-selling author David Bach. We'll link to the new edition of David's hit book, Automatic Millionaire, and to his Twitter handle so you can say hey at our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. The people responsible for this show have been sacked. I've got a movie, but I do want to hear any big plans for the for the holiday week since this is the last time you and I are recording this year? No. No? No. <laughs> you guys just you got that thing that you do where you stay you stay at home. By the way, I did I did your Sherry's Berries trick last year. And and I don't know if I told you this. By the way, I work out. 
Yeah, for those of you that uh, wonder why we're talking again, welcome to the after show. If you're brand new, this is the part of the show we don't talk about, but it's us talking about anything but random talk. stuff. Well, I liked it. And people can go back to last year's shows to hear what that's all about. I'll tell you what I didn't like. You know how you talked about American Express on Monday? Mm-hmm. Gave a nice shout out to them. I'm give an anti shout out to Sherry's Berries. Because when I went to buy that, I'm still angry. It's a year later and I'm still, no, no, no. That wasn't Christmas, Valentine's was it? Day, it, was, it was Valentine's Day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, they had this whole thing where you could like make a card or something. And I thought you had to pay extra to have like a card come with it. But it turned out there was a little card that came with it anyway. And when I went to try to cancel it, they made it incredibly difficult. I couldn't cancel it. I ended up buying this extra stuff that I didn't get. And then when I tried to cancel that part of my order, the Sherry's Berries people were like, sorry, man, sorry, you're out. To be kinder to them, I was going to be able to get my money back, but it was going to take a long time. It wasn't as simple as, hey, you didn't do this the way you promised. Please give me some money back. And they're like, okay, you know, hmm. like, I, like I thought that a good retailer well, would do. And that's why as much as you, you know, and some some people don't like it, that is some benefit to, you know, some of the major credit card companies is that a lot of times they offer that kind of protection, extra warranty stuff or whatever the case may be, where you go, you know, this just isn't the way that it's supposed to be. And you let them fight the battle for you. You know what I mean? I had that almost the exact same thing happened with flowers that I ordered. And I actually felt really bad because I ordered the flowers and then they came. So I went with some like tulips as opposed to like the normal roses type of thing, not knowing anything about tulips. I don't know anything about tulips, right? And so Mrs. OG gets them and they're all like, you know, droopy and there's like 10 of them in there. And the picture, you know, the picture when you order flowers, you know, you're not going to get that. Right. It's like this bouquet boop, you know, just blowing out of this vase. Right. In any event, you know, I called the credit card company, even been American Express. And I said, you know, I ordered this just wasn't right. And they're like, no problem. We'll take care of it. We'll send a whole new thing to you. Right. We'll contact the company. Well, anyway, they did. And it was a similar type product. And I'm like, this just. Maybe I don't know anything about tulips. And sure enough, like three days later, these things open up and they're like full, take up the whole vase and they're just beautiful and they smell nice. And now I feel bad because I kind of complained about it, (laughs) you know, but in some respects, maybe a little explanation. I don't know about tulips, right? right? Just go, here's what they're going to look like when you get them. But don't worry in two days, they'll open up and they'll look beautiful. They're coming. I keep telling Cheryl that two more days, I'm two gonna, more days and you're going to open be, up. I've, I've gotten away with that for, you know, over, well, over 20 some years now. 20 some years. All right. What movie do you got? All right. Well, people going, this one is uh, especially for families because lots of families this time of year take the kids to see movies. And uh, Cheryl and I, because we're such Disney fans, Disney actually sent us two free tickets to go see their latest movie, Moana. generations this peaceful island has been home to our family but beyond our reef a great danger is coming legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod maui and together they will save us all Just a- Maui, shape shifter, 
demigod of the wind and sea. I am Hero a... of Men. What? It's actually Maui shapeshifter demigod of the wind and sea, Hero of Men. I interrupted from the top, Hero of Men. Go. <laughs> Don't you love Dwayne Johnson? As I say, the rock transformative again. He was the effeminate uh, CIA operative in Central Intelligence. And now he's a demigod. And now he's a cartoon character so he really but but isn't it funny that the caricature of him is him looks like him yeah he's yeah got like all the tattoos and he's like you know a 30 inch waist and a 72 inch chest right. kind of like me they uh yeah, mine's the other way around <laughs> it's it uh it's funny that this movie made me want to go to uh, the islands so badly i was like oh, islands man oh let's just go i just listened to you know she's been on the show betty this guy with a suitcase and uh, she did a recent show about going to the Cook Islands. And uh, yeah, after listening to her getting to the Cook Islands with a bear, but when she was there, like it was funny, she, she lands, and uh, this is way a side story, but she lands and gets off the plane, and she's like, uh, customs? And like, yeah, you have to sign the sheet of paper. <laughs> so she signs the sheet of paper that she arrived. She's like, anything else? No, no, you're good. <laughs> It's like you kind of got to sign in when you arrive and sign out when you leave. Almost like you're taking the bathroom pass, you know? Like, what, what are you going to do here? <laughs> right. There's nothing to do. We don't need to make this complicated. Right. Exactly. You're going to sit on a beach. How great is that? So this movie takes place on an island with some island people who are experiencing some bad things. Their plants, uh, their crops are dying off. The fish are dying and uh, they need some help. Of course, the princess on the island, she's learning how to take over the reins from her dad, who's the king, and he's he's trying to protect her and also help her at the same time, forbids her from going on this boat, yet she learns from her grandmother early in the movie that she has to take a boat out beyond the barrier reef where bad things have happened in the past. And of course, as she goes, she has to find this demigod and she has to ask him to help her solve the problem. It follows very much the Disney formula. Don't even have to tell you, you know, that uh, it ends up pretty good at the end. But the adventure is the fun. And that's, you know, the Disney way of doing movies. The frustrating thing for me about this movie. So did I like the movie? Yeah, I like the movie. It was good. Wasn't great. It was there's Disney movies that are way, way, way better than this. You always know that you have a bad script in a kid's movie, at least for me. This is my personal opinion. I think you have a bad script for a kid's movie when you have to resort to butt, fart, and pee jokes. Nah, really? Yeah, there's... Out of a Disney movie? I We just watched the Angry Birds thing again. Yeah. And did, you, did you see Angry Birds movie? No, but I saw even on the trailer they were doing, like, butt jokes. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, when you've got to do potty humor in a kid's movie, that means you just don't have enough good material. Kind of like our podcast. Right, exactly. We need more of those. I we think. have lots of poop jokes. <laughs> but if you, you know, there's a part of the movie where D Dwayne Johnson, the demigod character, has her stick her hand in the in the water. And if it's warm, they're going the right way. And it's because he's peeing in the water ahead of her. And so she figures that out and it's gross. And, you know, of course it's made. And, and I just... I thought the movie was, yeah, I thought the movie was good enough without it. You know, there's parts that made me laugh. The music was good. The music was good. The animation was good. The movie was fun. It made me want to go on a vacation. <laughs> I, so to maybe Disney Zelani Resort in yes. Hawaii. Yeah, or or at least like the Polynesian <laughs> at Disney right. World. At Disney World, you'll take either. <laughs> yeah. I'll go to any of the above. 
Uh, so good movie, not a great movie. You want a good movie for the kids? I think I would wait for this one on video, even though I got to go for free. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to pay for it. Would I have watched it? Yes. Would I have been happy paying for it? No, not really. So okay. that's uh, Moana. And that's it. Moana to you, man. I don't know what that means, but okay. I, I don't either, but it sounds like I'm saying goodbye, which I am. Okay. Yep. Happy birthday. Aloha. Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.